Hi, everybody. My name is John, and I'm a sinner. Well, your job is to respond to me in a warm and welcoming way and say, hi, John. And you are to do that to give me some encouragement that, yes, you're doing the right thing to be open, transparent, and confessional. So let's try it again. How about it? Hi, everybody. My name is John, and I'm a sinner. That's much better. Thank you so much. Those words may sound familiar to some of you because we really uh, took the idea from Alcoholics Anonymous, where at every meeting, that's how it begins, with a confession. Hi, my name is, I'm an alcoholic. You see, it was 85 years ago when there was a man whose life was falling apart. He was a drunk. He hit bottom. He had lost his job. He was put into jail. He had been in the hospital four times already. It looked like there was no hope for him. That's when a man invited him into a little fellowship of people who were followers of Jesus. And so these followers of Jesus were in a group called the Oxford Group. And they were trying to recapture the way and the life of Jesus, just like the early believers had experienced in the book of Acts. A life by the power of the Spirit. And there, a man who in history has become known as Bill W. in the AA movement, that man was in that group where he learned how they devoted themselves to practices that really looked at honest self-examination, confession. It looked at things like making restitution and seeking to give themselves in service to others and telling others about the life in Christ. So out of that invitation, Alcoholics Anonymous was birthed. And now there have been hundreds of thousands of people throughout the years who have received the power of a life that now they are set free and living a life of sobriety. Amazing, isn't it, that AA took from the church, received from the scriptures, received from the practices of Jesus, the steps that are involved in this new way of life? It truly is amazing. And does anybody remember how many steps there are in the AA? There are 12, 12 steps. Exactly right. And so on this Ash Wednesday, as we gather here, as you who are watching from home are doing this with us, we're going to look at, in this time of Lent, over the next 12 times, starting tonight, Sundays and Wednesdays, at 12 spiritual steps that we would follow the way of Jesus, that we would come to know him and his life in a deeper way, that we would experience more of what God desires us to have, a life of more faith and hope and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. 
And so it's a calling, an invitation that we would begin this road. Now, understand this series of messages is not an analytic looking at AA, nor are we even using the words that they use exactly, because I've never been comfortable with the fact that in AA, all they talk about is a higher power that helps you get freedom. No, we're going to take our truth from the scriptures that say it's Jesus Christ is the one who sets us free. And so Lent is a perfect time for us as believers to learn again the power of the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so we will fix our eyes on Jesus who for who endured the cross despising the shame that we might be set free from our addictions and the condemnation that comes because of our sin. You know, in AA, those who have hit bottom and now are seeking help for an ongoing recovery, it's said that they are now on the road to recovery. Well, Jesus invites you and me on the road to recovery, on the road that he leads us on to know his life. But warning. This road to recovery is not a road of your own making. Did you know that? You don't get there by how smart you are or how much you know or how determined you are or how good you are. It's not a matter of you praying hard enough or you reading enough scriptures that then you will be able on your own to enter into this new way of life of freedom and of greater joy. As a matter of fact, the truth is, as we look at this life of Jesus, you and me on our own, we can't get there from here. Ever had one of those experiences where you just can't get there from here? Let me tell you about my first call to a church in the Los Angeles area, Inglewood, California. Little church of about 50 people. They didn't have much money, but one of the things they did was they made sure that Sue and I could go to the pastor conferences that took place there in Southern California. Believe me, they were in nice places. One time it was in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Really neat place. By the way, they have the old London Bridge that they deconstructed, brought over here, and rebuilt it in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Well, Sue and I decided, okay, we got to figure out the, the shortest distance to get to this pastor's conference because we had to leave after she got off of work teaching school. And we wanted to be able to use our time wisely, and honestly, we were pretty cheap. We didn't want to spend more money on gas than we had to. So I actually got a map. Now, understand, back then you didn't have GPS, right? I know this might be shocking to some young people here, but I am older than Google, okay? I am older than Google. And the truth is, some of you are too, because if you were born before 1998, guess what? You are older than Google. So the map I'm talking about is the kind that's folded perfect, and you open it up. Yeah, it's made out of paper. And we looked at the lines, and we figured out how to get there, and we discovered that we could go to the border of California and there take a ferry across the lake to get to Lake Havasu City. Perfect plan. Off we go, we went straight line, came to the border of California, there's a lake in front of us and we're looking for the ferry, there are no signs, we can't figure this out, it's starting to get dark out, and I stop and I ask, 
Someone wears the ferry across the lake. We're going to Lake Havasu City. It's right across the lake. I can see the lights over there now. And here is the answer. The person said to me, there is no ferry. It stopped running. I said, what do you mean it stopped running? Well, then how can I get to Lake Havasu City? I see it right there across the lake. And here is the answer. You can't get there from here. That is not what I wanted to hear. We had to backtrack. We had to go around. We had to go way north. We had to go on Highway 10 and go east and into Arizona and back down. It was over 100 extra miles we had to drive in order to get there. Ever had one of those you can't get there from here experiences? I don't mean in your travels. I mean in your life. I mean in your relationship with God. That you realize that I can't get there from here. You see, here's the reality we have to come to grips with. We're powerless. We're powerless to get on this road to recovery on our own. And that really is what AA says in the first step. So here it is, the first step from AA. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. I want you to hear that. We admitted that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Did you know this is the starting point to get on the road to recovery? What it's saying is this, I can't fix myself. I can't change my personhood that I suddenly no longer drink. I can't fix you. I can't do this on my own. I've made a mess of my life, and I am not able to handle it. That's the truth. Now, I want you to know it's also the truth when it comes to the road to recovery in what's called the Christian life. You and I are powerless. We're unable to do this on our own. Here's how Jesus put it. It was in Matthew chapter 5 when he was giving the description of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you want to experience life in my power and presence? Here it is. Blessed are you who are spiritually poor. Didn't see that one coming. And then he said, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Wait a second. You would think that the kingdom of heaven would be given to people who are doing very well in life, who are following the commands, who are listening to God's word. And instead, what it's saying here is this. No, it's the fact that you must come to terms with the reality that you are powerless to get from where you are in your sin and separation from God and onto the road to recovery and the new life that God gives you. You are not able to do it on your own. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he began his ministry, the very first words he spoke are recorded in Mark chapter 115 where Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. He was actually telling them, here it is, it's so close to you, you can enter it. Well, how do you get in? In that day, in Jesus' day, the belief was, if everybody could keep the commands just for one day, then the kingdom of God would be restored where we are. But the challenge with that is, people were not able to keep the commands. 
And so Jesus said, no, this is how it works. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here's how you get in. You ready? Repent. Confess. Understand that you can't do it. Repent and believe the good news. And this is really good news because the news is not what we have to do to save ourselves. The news is what Jesus Christ has done for us. What an amazing, powerful message that he has given to us. We can't save ourselves. We can't get there from here by our own power. And why is that? It's recorded in Romans chapter 7. Here's what Paul had to say. By the way, let me back up because let me share with you Oh no, I'm in the right place. Romans chapter seven, Paul wrote, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, (laughs) that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Blessed are you who are spiritually poor. I'm bankrupt. I have absolutely nothing to bring to the table. I can't even do the good that I want to do. Did you know that's true for you and for me? It is a stark reality, the truth that we need to hear, that indeed we need God's help. We need to hear that. Here's what we then say, our step one. We admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. You know, we have to keep saying this in the church because sometimes we forget. There are Christians who actually believe they're really nice and good people before God. And that, yeah, they'll admit they are imperfect, but in their minds, they're not like other people. I mean, I do a lot of good things, right? I give money, I serve. I do many religious things. And a lot of people have the idea that that brings me pretty far in my relationship with God. Oh, sure, because of my sin, there's this gap yet, that gap of about 10 to 20% where I can't do it on my own, so Jesus can fill that gap, all right? I'm pretty nice, I'm pretty good, but I have to have Jesus just for a little fire insurance here, just to make sure I get in and I cover my bases, and that's then how it works, they think. And I want to tell you, that's the lie. That's the deception that so many people believe. And we live in a culture that believes that I'm a good person on my own. I am one who deserves God's to be on my side, to bless me. And do you know, that is the devastation that destroys lives. Because we can't get there from here. We are powerless. So we have to realize what the scriptures are saying to us. Step one, it's time to get honest about our sin-generated addictions and destructive ways. And if it's not alcoholism for you, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's that you are a people pleaser. 
Maybe that's the sin part that gets into you. Because do you know, when you're a people pleaser, you're looking for the approval of others. You love it when others compliment you. As a matter of fact, that's where you get your worth. That's what you build your life on. And if it doesn't happen, you are depressed. And here's what I'll tell you. Being a people pleaser is just another word for being an idolater. That you have a false God. That you have made people more important than God. Because it is God who determines your worth and who you are. He gives you security. He gives you the approval that you need more than anything else. Or maybe for you it's not people pleaser, but it could be that you're a rageaholic. <laughs> okay? You know where I see them usually? On the road. Sometimes they're in my truck, driving my truck. It can happen in a nanosecond. I get really angry. Doesn't that person know what they're doing? And so, yeah, have to own up to that. Maybe for you it's a workaholic. Do you know there are people that want so much to earn and achieve that success, get those trophies, get that job promotion? There are those who have lost their health, their spouse, their kids in the process. Sin is devastating and it is insipid and we cannot manage this on our own. And the list goes on. You could be a, a greed-aholic that you just want more and more. You could be a control-aholic. You have to be the one calling the shots. Or maybe you're the need-to-be-right-aholic. Oh man, they're no fun to be around, are they? And so the road to recovery begins with admitting that I'm powerless to save myself or even change my sin-corrupted life. You know, driving over here tonight, if you have a little moment where it was dicey, maybe you were starting to slide. I had one of those moments. I'm coming down a hill. There's the roundabout, and it seemed like the person in front of me obviously didn't know how to do it like I know how to do it. And they stop when there was no reason to stop. And I'm thinking, I could slide right into them. And I realize I would be out of control if they do stop. And this could be bad. I said, oh, Lord, this is Ash Wednesday. Don't let it be Bash Wednesday. <laughs> Thanks be to God, he watched over me. I didn't deserve it. Do you know that every time we as human beings have taken the steering wheel of life out of God's hands, every time we have run the vehicle, our life into the ditch, every time. And it's caused damage and harm to us and to others. Oh, how we need the help of God. How we need Jesus. And this is what it's all about. He is the one who is the way the way to new life. He gives us new birth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He puts us on the road to recovery through the birth that comes to us in our baptism and through being part of the family of God, and he leads us on this road. And the best thing we can do to get on the road to recovery is to come out with the truth and say it clearly. I am a sinner who needs a savior. 
John, the apostle, made this really clear in his letter to the believers. It's 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, as he wrote these words. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I find this fascinating. First of all, he says we... If we say we have no sin, this is all of us. Nobody's left out. And by the way, step one of the 12 steps is the only one that says we are powerless. This is all of us. We're part of this strange fellowship. It's called, why don't I do what I want to do, fellowship. Why is it that I have such a propensity to sin? of violating who God made me to be and what he has called me to do. And yet, we are to confess that. You don't play games. You don't pretend. By the way, if you're worried that anybody's going to find out you're a sinner, it's already been made public. You see, Jesus was not crucified on a cross in a private room in the temple. They executed him on one of the most busy roads leading into Jerusalem. And it was a public display for everybody to see. And those who beheld Jesus on the cross, they did not see the sin of Jesus. They saw your sin and mine and the sin of the world because he carried our sin to the cross, paying its debt, which is death. And he's the one by his death and resurrection that makes possible for us to now be on the road to recovery, because the road to recovery is a road to the cross. Make no mistake about it. And so he is the way, the way to recovery. It's his grace given to us. And here's what I'll tell you. Confession brings amazing liberty. When you're no longer trying to prove to others how good you are, but you're admitting the reality that I'm powerless, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, I will tell you, that will set you free. One of the churches I served in, there was a man who just didn't like me. He resisted me. He was angry at me. He accused me of all kinds of things. I reached out to him, but I just couldn't get a breakthrough with him at all. He would, by the way, while I preached, he would sit at the middle aisle on the end of the row so that I could see him, and he would sit there and put his arms akimbo and he would glare at me the whole time I'm preaching. Sometimes he even moved his chair out a little bit further into the aisle to make sure I could see him. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I tried to reach out to him. And what he said to me was this, you are the worst pastor I have ever met. Now, I want you to know this is a church where 100 people a year were joining, joining this church, hundreds of people getting baptized, but that's, that's not the issue. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if nobody ever joined the church. This man was going to condemn me. You know what I said to him? You might be right. I could be the worst pastor you've ever met. There's no doubt about it. But I said... Look at what God has done through the worst pastor 
you've ever met. People are coming to know Jesus, not because of me, but because of him. That's what we do. We point people to the cross of Jesus Christ. What unites us is this, that we are powerless, we are messed up, we are desperate for a Savior, and we have a Savior who loves us so much that he gave his life. So here's the deal. If you're messed up tonight, welcome. Glad you're here. If you're not messed up, stick around a while. I think you might discover that you're really worse than you thought you were. And you might discover the gospel is better than you ever dreamed because Christ died for sinners. So how about it? Step one, I'm John. I'm a sinner, but I have a Savior. Tonight, guess what you're going to do? You're going to make that confession, not with words, but with actions. Because you see the sign of the cross that you receive, the ashes, that's a way of you saying, hi everybody, I'm a sinner, but I have a Savior who loves me. And through him, I'm on the road to recovery. Let's bow our heads. Lord, as we gather here tonight, the stark reality, the truth that we all need to come to grips with is that none of us deserve the amazing love, grace, forgiveness, new life, victory over death that you give to us freely through your substitutionary death and resurrection. But, oh God, you were pleased and you went to that cross enduring its shame because you were made glad by the fact that this was the means by which we would become redeemed children of God. Lord, we have to confess, all of us, we are powerless. We are not very good at managing our life. We can't do it. But, oh God, we are people who are loved and redeemed by you. Thank you, for you have invited us and placed us on this road to recovery, the road to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.